You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. It's my joy to continue our series in James chapter 4. We're going to be looking at pride and perspectives today. This is not a traditional Mother's Day message, but God's Word is so powerful that it is able to instruct us, to teach us, to train us in everything that we need for life and for godliness. And so we look to God's Word and say, God, speak. Your servant is listening. We want to hear what God would say to us today. And so we're going to be looking at the issue of pride, how to identify it in our lives, and then hopefully walk out of this place with some hope and encouragement so that we can not only see what's going on in our lives, but also walk in freedom and grace. So let's take a look at James chapter 4. We're going to read our text together and see what God says to us today. Amen? So chapter 4 verse 1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. I think we could camp out right there. God gives us more grace. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It is sin for them. So when I mention the word pride, I know that each of us can think of some positive and negative examples of pride in action. First, a couple of positives. How many of you have ever had a goal? Okay? When we reach a goal or maybe we achieve something that we've been working hard, hard toward, it's easy to feel a sense of pride and accomplishment. That's a healthy sense of pride. Um, for us as SEC, we talk about supporting Pregnancy Resource Center, but did you know that SEC has consistently been among the top 100 missions-giving churches in the Assemblies of God? I think we're currently at like 122 or something, but for years we have consistently been. To give you perspective, 
That's out of over 13,000 churches. Us, our faith family, has been so generous in caring for the needs of others. That is to be commended. That is awesome. We stretch ourselves to give. When you give your resources, they're handled faithfully because we give. When we support Moses and Esther House orphanages in the Middle East, when we're doing work in all different places around our world, God has blessed that. And as moms, our kiddos, from the time they come into this world, we feel pride in them. We feel pride long before they ever accomplish anything, do anything significant, even speak a word. We feel simply pride in their existence because of who they are, because they've been created in the image of God. Those are all intrinsic value that we, we would associate with pride in the form of dignity. We all have dignity because God has created each of us in his image. And any good thing that we do, we have to be quick to reflect back glory to him because it's only as he imparts those giftedness, those gifts and treasures into our life that we're able to serve and give and love and all of those great things that we can very easily turn into pride toward ourselves. But pride has an alter ego. Just as Spider-Man had his insecurity, Iron Man has an alter ego. Anybody know what it is? narcissism. Even he agrees with that. <laughs> Iron Man had tremendous capability, tremendous opportunities. He does tremendous amount of good, but Iron Man also has a problem with pride. He has a problem with pride. And if we're honest, each of us also have issues with pride. We kind of have a tendency to have this double-mindedness that James 1 warns us about. Pride. This issue that we all wrestle with, we have a tendency to live double lives. There's this external side of us, the outward side that other people can see and acknowledge, and then there's this other side of us that only God can see and he has to deal with because he really knows what's in our hearts. But pride can display itself in some obvious ways. Some of those obvious ways I've included on the screen, blustery personalities, superiority, anger, when things don't go our way, are we easily tipped? Harshness, a hyper-focus on physical appearance, me-centeredness, attention-seeking, name-dropping, arrogance, talking about self. Those are all ways that we can obviously point to pride, but pride also has a subtler side, yet no less insidious. It's just quieter. And these are some of the quieter ways that pride shows up in our lives. Some of those might include self-pity, martyrdom. God has had to deal with me in that issue. No more martyrdom, Stephanie. All right, God. Defensiveness, but I'm, but, but lack of submission to authorities in our lives, an absence of a teachable spirit, critical thoughts and words, the ways that we start critiquing each other and critiquing circumstances and situations and organizations and everything. We've all got a better idea. Insecurity, neglect. I'm so hyper focused on myself that I can't care for the needs of others. Neglect. Failing to ask others for help or to admit and confess sin or shortcomings. Those are some of the quieter ways that pride can work in each of our lives. Did you find yourself on any one of those two lists? I did. Yeah, it's an issue that we all have to deal with. So as people who are following after the ways of Jesus, who want our lives to be conformed to his image, it's very important that we start here in God's word and say, well, what does God have to say about this. We all, issue, we all wrestle with this issue, but what does God have to say about pride? And James chapter 4 is very clear about it. God opposes the proud, 
but shows grace or favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, then to God. I want you to notice that pride positions us against God. Not only is us in opposition to God, but what James teaches is that God is opposed to us. God is waging war against us as if we were an enemy because this issue has the power to destroy us as well as everybody else in our lives. God opposes, he rages in battle against those who put up with pride in their life. So we need an accurate view of how serious this issue is. Pride leads to destruction in our lives and those around us. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, if pride was leading a parade today, pride would say, hey, you want to look at a parade? Better yet, do you want to be in the parade? Come follow me, and we follow after pride. But where is pride leading? Pride leads to destruction, a haughty spirit to a fall. So when we allow pride to get in front of the parade of our lives, we're following the wrong leader. (laughs) We're in trouble if we allow pride to take that kind of place in our lives because it's going to lead us to the death of dreams, to the fracture of relationships, the shattering, crushing ruin of lives. It's important for us to deal with that. That's why Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And what is the first thing on the list? Haughty eyes. The eyes that say, hey, I know what's best. I'm superior. I'm going to look down on you. Haughty eyes. First thing in the list as well as a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The word of God is very clear. God hates this. We stand in opposition. We become his enemies when we allow this thing to take root in our lives. And not only that, it's detesting to him. It's, it's disgusting to him. He detests it. He hates it. And so why do we want to put up with this? I don't think any of us would. There are several other verses in your listening guide. I just want to highlight a few of these. Psalm 10, verse 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. It says, in all his thoughts, there is no room for God. In his thoughts, there is no room for God. Why? Because self is so very present. Self is present. And so we're so self-focused that when we become prideful, there is no room for God. We shut him out of our lives and we don't leave space for him. Proverbs 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. And Proverbs 13.10, this is a great one for anyone who lives in family, has roommates, has ever lived in, in relationship or had friendships. Proverbs 13.10 says, where there is strife, there is pride. Where there is strife, there is pride. If there's arguing, bickering, contention, dissension, frustrations, all that mounting, the Bible is clear, there you will find pride. That's the root of what's going on in those situations. There's some element of pride at work. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. That's Proverbs 13.10. A fool's mouth lashes out with pride, but the lips of the wise protect them. Proverbs 29.23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. The lowly in spirit gain honor. And Isaiah 2.11 says, The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, and human pride brought low, 
The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. No one greater than him. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. I wanted us to take a look as I was studying and looking at these places where pride showed up in the word of God. I noticed three kings that uh, had issues with pride. One of them started out well, didn't end as well. One of them started off well, got a little off track, repented, and ended well. Another one started off terribly and ended well. (laughs) So I want us to see it doesn't really matter where we find ourselves in this position. At some point, we have to deal with this issue of pride. And the first king I want us to look at is King Uzziah. King Uzziah. 2 Chronicles 26 is where you'll find his story. His reign began at age 16. Okay, hand over the keys to the car at age 16. He's handed the keys of the kingdom at age 16. He's got a lot of pressure and responsibility, and he reigns for 52 years. Amazing. He got off to a great start. And in verses 4 and 5 of 2 Chronicles 26, it says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Just as his father Amaziah had done, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And notice this, as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. Who wants to be successful? I do. I think we all want that. We want our lives to count and matter. And as long as he looked to the Lord, as long as he sought after the Lord, God gave him success. Success for him looked like victories and wars. He built these amazing towers of protection, water cisterns, livestock, vineyards. He established this army with advanced weaponry. He invented things. This guy was smart. I mean, he was just prolific in the things that he could, accomplish, he could accomplish. But in verse 15 and 16, it said his fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. Until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And why was that a big deal? Because only the priests were allowed to enter. That was not man's law. That was God's law. God said, you can't do it. He did it anyway. And he was struck with leprosy. A man who started well, didn't end so well. King Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32. His story expands in 2 Kings uh, 16 through 20. But in 2 Chronicles 32, after a stunning defeat of the Assyrian king, a violent, wicked king, Sennacherib, all of the nations greatly esteemed King Hezekiah because he had defeated an enemy that nobody else could take care of. But God gave him success in that battle. And it said in verses 24 and 26 that after, sometime after that battle, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and is without the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. Awesome miracle. But Hezekiah's heart was proud. You see that? Hezekiah's heart was proud, and he did not respond, respond to the kindness of the Lord that was shown to him. Therefore, the Lord's wrath was on him, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. But Hezekiah got it right. Then Hezekiah repented of the pride of his heart, and therefore the Lord's wrath did not come on them during the days of Hezekiah. And it was written in 2 Kings that there was no one like him among all the kings, either before him or after him. He was great. He was an awesome man. He was a great leader. And this was a man who started off right, needed to repent when he was confronted with this issue of pride, and then did okay. 
Now, this next example, the last king, is King Nebuchadnezzar. How many of you have a positive opinion about King Nebuchadnezzar from anything you know about this man? All right? This was an ancient, well, the, the greatest ancient king of Babylon. He amassed incredible fortunes, uh, just yeah, Nebuchadnezzar was amazing. And at a point when he was feeling really great about all of his accomplishments, and he had amassed all of this wealth, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that terrifies him. And basically, the essence of this dream was, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be removed from your kingdom. You're not going to have any more power, and God is destroying your leadership. And at a point when he was trying to figure out what does this dream mean, because it was so unusual, he called all the magicians and astrologers and anybody else he thought might have power to interpret the dream, and they're unable to do it. But then he remembers he had an incident with a man named Daniel a few chapters before, Daniel chapter 4, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar was so proud of himself that he builds a 90-foot-high golden statue of himself and demands that everyone in that kingdom bow down and worship him. 90 feet high, nine stories tall, huge golden statue image of himself that everyone does, and he demands that you're going to do that or you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace. Long story short, God delivers these four young men who refuse to bow down, refuse to worship him. God has a miraculous delivery, and because of this fiery pit and all of this thing that he'd seen, he recognized that Daniel had a different spirit living within him. It was the spirit of the living God, and he recognized that, so he called Daniel to interpret the dream. Daniel's afraid to, <laughs> because this man has a lot of power, but he tells him the truth, and we pick up in verse uh, 29 of Daniel 4, and it says, 12 months later, king has gone on about his thing, he hears the interpretation, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven that told him exactly what Daniel had told him a year before. This is what's decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. And immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He loses his sanity. He's driven out for seven years to, like a wild animal. His hair grew. His nails grew. He's grazing grass for food like a cow. For seven years, completely loses his mind until he acknowledges the true source and authority in his life. And at verse 34, it said, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. Remember Proverbs 6, 16, the thing that the Lord hates, haughty eyes, the eyes that look down on everyone? Now Nebuchadnezzar has been humbled, and he raises his eyes toward heaven and his sanity is restored. His sanity is restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And at the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. And I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now, this is not just what our, our religious text tells us. But historians tell us, if you read the ancient history encyclopedia, this is not a religious source. This is historical fact. This is what it says, and I quote, Surviving an apparent seven-year bout with insanity, the cause of which is still not known today, Nebuchadnezzar II created a city which was not only wondrous to behold, but also a center for the arts and intellectual pursuits. 
Women enjoyed equal rights with men under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Schools and temples were plentiful in literacy, mathematics, and craftsmanship flourished along with a tolerance of and interest in other gods of many faiths. Hmm. The great king died as he had hoped in the magnificent city he had built. An old man, the great king died as he had hoped, as he had dreamed. God gave him a different ending than his story began. End quote. And verse 37 says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt, not just any other God. He says, I praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God can handle this. God can handle this issue in our lives. So no matter where you start or where you're finishing, it's important that we recognize this is a serious issue to God. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And God is able to give us more grace. Let's identify this root and address it. James chapter 3, we started in this last week where it identifies this as a heart issue. James 3 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, where? In your hearts. If you harbor it in your hearts, don't boast about it. Ah, that's just me. Ah, that's just the way our family Oh, that's just so, so, and so. Don't boast about it. If you harbor these things in your heart, don't boast about it. Or deny the truth. Don't brag about it. Don't deny it. Just be honest with it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Which brings us to James chapter 4 the three prideful attitudes and perspectives that we have to identify in our lives. And the first, of the first prideful attitude that we all have to combat is, I want. I want. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4 that we read earlier, it talks about the fights and quarrels that come from the desires that battle within us. The desires that are in opposition to, the pleasures, the lust. All of those things that are in opposition and at war with God. First Peter 2.11 says, I urge you to abstain from those sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Your soul is at stake in this issue. The desires that battle with it, it's such strong language. The desires that battle with it in us. And he says, you're willing to kill your covetous, your adulterous. All of those things are God's law. God's law that we are supposed to submit underneath becomes the the thing that we begin to wage war against and we're willing to violate all of the, the principles and leadership of God in our lives when we find ourselves in opposition to that. We're willing to do anything to get what I want. I want. And he says, well, you actually, if you just ask God and you'd ask with the right motivation, you probably could get that. But as it is, you're not asking God. You're not praying. You're living a prayerless life. You're, you lack a, a sense of reliance on God for provision. And because of that, you're, you're asking. And when you ask, you're asking only just to spend it on your own pleasures. 
You're asking what the wrong motivations. And so again, it reveals this heart issue going on. I'm either not willing to trust God or seek God, or I'm just going to take matters in my own hands because it's really just about my own pleasures anyway. And so those are things that we have to, have to watch out for in our lives. Eugene Peterson says, prayer is the way that we work our way out of the comfortable but cramped world of self and into the spacious world of God. Prayer is the way that we get out of ourselves and move forward into the spacious, spacious world of God. Now, let me give you kind of a a silly example, but I think it's one that we can all relate to. Breakfast cereal. Okay, anybody like breakfast cereal? Okay, okay, cereal is a big deal in our house. (laughs) We have cereal wars at our house. Uh, And it kind of goes like this. Mom buys cereal, dad buys cereal, it comes into the house, and in like 60 seconds flat, the whole box is gone and somebody's upset about it, okay? And if you've ever roomed with somebody, raised children, lived in a family, I mean, anything like that, you know it's a big deal when the cereal, especially the favorite one of whoever, is gone. Who ate the last of the cereal? Who left the empty box of cereal in the pantry? You know, I've, we've even had one, I won't even name names, but we do have a couple of our children that have been known to hide cereal in their room so that the rest of the family couldn't get it just to make sure they kept cereal, all right? <laughs> all right, so cereal wars, okay? So we'll take this little thing, it's just a breakfast choice, it's a breakfast item, but what if cereal was the issue in our lives, okay? How would this text read? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Cereal. Don't they come from your desire for cereal that battles within you? You desire cereal, but you can't get cereal, so you kill for it. You covet cereal, but you can't have it, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have cereal because you're not asking God, and when you are asking for cereal, you probably are not going to receive it because you're asking with the wrong motives because you just want to eat all the cereal yourself. All right? (laughs) Silly example, but there's a sobering reality that teaches us something in that. Because most of the things that we ask for or really think that we truly want or need amount to cereal when it comes down to it. Can't be content with eggs, couldn't be content with pancakes, couldn't be content with any other option but cereal. Who ate it? And those are the issues in our lives. Yes, there's bigger and more important things at stake, obviously, in this passage that James is addressing. But from God's perspective, in this trust issue with him, most of the things in our life really kind of boil down to that. When we get to the heart of the things that we really want, they really aren't that important. And it reveals something to us. When self is enthroned in our hearts, God cannot coexist with that. We find ourselves at war with him. And that's why verse 4 and 5 says, you're adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world becomes an enemy of God. And this is really important because James is calling out our unfaithfulness to the covenant relationship that God would have for us. And he says, I would be married to you. I would have you be faithful to your covenant But instead, you're choosing friendship with the world. And if you choose friendship with the world, you become my enemy and not my lover. And it's like saying, somebody offering you a proposal and saying, well, thanks for the proposal. It's really nice. And or even being married. But you know what? 
uh, thanks for the marriage, but I would really rather be friends. And I don't really want to be friends with you, but I want to be friends with that. That's what we do when we become adulterous people in our hearts in this issue of pride, because there is only one lover, and that is the perspective that we need to see. There is only one lover of our souls, that is God, and he will not share us with another lover, even ourselves. That's why verse 5 says, and do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us because he is the lover of our souls? So the cure for the I want is to recognize that God loves me. God has my best interest at heart, and he will not share my affection with anybody else. The second prideful attitude that we see in the scripture James addresses is, I'm right. I'm right. Now, I particularly have an issue with this particular one. Anybody else? (laughs) I'm right. I like to be right. I usually have a pretty good attention to detail. I don't like to be inaccurate. And so this issue has consistently been that. I can find myself a little defensive when I'm corrected. Okay? It's human nature. I'm just going to be transparent. (laughs) I'm right. And so in verse 11, James writes, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Now notice, he's not talking about a cranky neighbor or a difficult co-worker. He's talking about the spiritual family, brothers and sisters. Do not slander one another. Brothers and sisters, let's not slander each other. What does slander look like? Slander looks like when we accuse each other, when we incriminate and and believe the worst about each other, when we tell lies about or we misrepresent a truth or a situation about a person and it damages their reputation. Slander, according to the word of God, looks like when we critique other people. I know the better way. Can't they get it right? Those people are just, that's what it looks like when we slander people. When we speak badly of other, other people, when we run them down, that's slander. And according to the word of God, there's no place for it within our family. There's no place for it within our family. And he continues, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Again, there's that spiritual authority. You're not sitting under the authority of the law that says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, but you're sitting in judgment on the law. You have reversed places with the only one who is able to exercise that level of spiritual authority in our lives. Now, this, this issue, as I mentioned, has been something that I've had to consistently till the ground on over the years. When I married Dwayne, we got together 27 years ago, been married 26, and when we got together, I was so attracted to this man because of the way he prayed. I had an opportunity to observe him for a long period of time, but I also loved that he was so kind He was not just kind publicly to flatter a person, but he was so kind in how he thought about people, talked about people, respectful, humble, and that drew me to him. But if any of you have ever been in a relationship, you know that sometimes the things that draw you to a person can also be the opposite things that drive you nuts after you're married, okay? (laughs) And I will tell you why it drove me nuts, because the issue was with me. 
So every time that we would be in a situation and I just wanted to let him have it or let somebody else have it, just between us, not going out and like, ah, but just unleash about this or that or whatever injustice or whatever else was going on, he wouldn't participate. And he would talk about and encourage other people, hey, you should only use the words that edify people. And he would use scripture to just say, and it rubbed against me because it came in direct opposition to something I was used to tolerating in my life. And so the Lord began to deal with me, not with him, fortunately, to bring him off of that. But I want you to know, in all of these years, I have never heard you run another person down. I've never heard him ever speak ill of another person under stress, under difficult circumstances. He believes the best. And it's, it's an awesome quality. But when the Lord is dealing with it in your life, man, it hurts. It's painful to deal with. But by God's grace, I feel like God has been, over the years, just refining me, rubbing those rough places off of my life, and, and creating someone that is more kind, that is more gentle, that is filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not perfect. i got a long ways to go. But this is attributed not because Stephanie was on some self-improvement journey, but because the Spirit of God just keeps working on these areas of our lives. And I want you to know, I felt like I was doing pretty good until about two weeks ago <laughs> when I was sitting in a conference and just observing things, and I felt like, hey, well, that was an interesting choice. Hmm. Well, why, why not that? Well, well, that wasn't very professional. I know that if they did this or this or this, this, this could be a lot better. And I just, started, just had this internal thing going on. Never shared it with anybody else. Just had it going. I was sitting in a session where somebody made an offhand comment. It was not even related to the session. And the, the statement was this. Can you celebrate when someone else comes into their inheritance? Can you celebrate when someone else comes into their inheritance? And immediately the Spirit of God spoke to my spirit and said, yeah, Stephanie, can you celebrate when that person came into their inheritance? Yeah, they didn't do that as, as well as maybe you could have. But this is not about them. It's about you. Can you celebrate when someone else starts to experience success? And immediately I knew. I just had the whole log of conversation downloaded. And I knew every point that I had been sitting in judgment and critiquing other people for their very best efforts. And it was really not important. And it comes down to that issue of, even if I'm right, what does it matter? Even if I'm right... What is my heart motivation for thinking or feeling or speaking what I'm doing? And that's where the Lord spoke to me directly and said, Stephanie, don't you want your words to refresh others? Don't you want your words to refresh others? Yes, Lord, I do. I want those words. I know that as I speak that I'm held to a higher standard. I know that there's a greater accountability for the words that I speak. And I want the words, I want my presence when I come around people. And I say that, hold me accountable, people. <laughs> You're my fam. Hold us accountable in this. I want my words to refresh other people. I don't want to devalue others. Pride devalues other people and our relationships. And spiritual pride, worse yet, spiritual pride can absolutely destroy us as well as other people. 
I want my words to refresh others. Now, that was not the end of my conversation because the next part of my conversation was something like this. But Lord, I didn't even say those words to anybody else. That I know, but I heard them. <laughs> Shouldn't my words also refresh the Lord? Shouldn't the fruit of my lips be praise? Shouldn't it be encouragement? Not only that, but I had to apologize to this man too as I realized that a lot of times my critique spills over to him either about him or about other things or situations that I know could improve, could be better, but my words are not refreshing him either. Do our words refresh our friends that are around us? When we go to lunch with our friends, what are we talking about? Are we talking about other people or how this could be better? When we get in our small groups, what are we talking about? Are words encouraging and building up? Are they tearing down? Again, we can be right, but what's the motivation in sharing it? Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Those who hear your words should be benefited by what you speak. And we are held to account for that. I wonder what would happen if we took this one little nugget from today and started putting that into practice. What would that change? What would that change? The perspective we need to have to this I'm right area of pride is there is only one lawgiver. There's only one lawgiver. And in verse 12, it says that he has the power to save and to destroy. So who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? The last prideful attitude. I want, I'm right, I'm in control. And James is very clear about this one too. In verse 13, he said, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we're going to live and go to this city or that city and carry on. But as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Pride manifests in presumption and arrogance. Today or tomorrow, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We just keep going on with our lives with no awareness of who's really in charge of our lives. And we keep going on. And we only see ourselves in isolation, but we're not seeing the whole timeline of events. I don't know what's in the future. I don't know how much stretches out in front of me, but I can tell you that there's been a huge timeline leading up to my little blip on the radar. Time, 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 time. Stephanie, time, 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 time. You know, and that's like how it all is for each of us. We are a mist that appears and then vanishes. That's the reality. And there's a worldly view about time that says, time's on my side. I'm in control. I can chart my own course. But the true, real, eternal view of this is that we are not in control. We're not in control. Which brings us to the last perspective that we need to see. There is only one Lord. There is only one who has authority over our lives. We live in submission to his authority. And this is our creator God, the one who loves us, who sustains us, who provides for us, who takes care of us who instills in us the ability to work that provides for us. This is our God, and he is in control of our lives. This is our Lord, and we surrender to him. We surrender to him. So if we find ourselves in those areas of pride, 
As we close, I would like to just give us a couple of simple things as our team comes that helps us. If these are areas of pride, we can leave encouraged because verse 6 says that God gives us more grace. So wherever you find yourself lacking in these areas, you're in good company today. (laughs) And there is an answer because God gives us grace. Grace that he expects us to then extend to other people. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, there's just a series of these little short statements, these little commands of things that we can do. You need to do this, you need to do this, do this, do this, do this, and it will help you to combat this issue of pride so that your life is lived in submission. And my mom always said, if she said it, I I can't even count the number of times my mom would say this, God loves us too much to let us get by with pride. Yes, he does. God loves us too much to let us get by with pride, especially spiritual pride in our lives. So there are two things that we need to do if we want to take care of this issue in our lives. And the first thing is we need to take it seriously. Take pride seriously. God does. We should too. Take pride seriously. And James gives us some clear commands of things that we can do. Submit yourselves then to God. That's where it begins. We can't live in in isolation away from his commands and his way of doing things and expect things to work out. We have to live in submission to his authority. Submit yourselves then to God. Then the second thing he says is resist the devil and he will flee. You need to recognize that the devil is constantly going to be on you in this area to tempt you toward pride. That was his issue. That caused his fall. So Satan will be relentless in this. So you have to resist the devil. You resist the devil and he will flee. He will leave you alone. Not just always the first time, but every single time you come up against this issue in your life, resist the devil and he will flee. I just did like Wonder Woman, didn't I? So I was like, (laughs) resist the devil and he will flee from you. The The next one is come near to God and he will come near to you. Draw near to him. Get in his presence. Be around other people that encourage you in your faith. Read his word, pray to him, develop an ongoing conversation with the Lord. Even as I'm speaking, I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to him. You can do this. You can grow in this so that you learn how to be listening to the Lord and listen. God, what do you say about this? I want to hear your voice. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinner. Purify your hearts. Just as the priest would prepare to go into the temple to do, their, to do their duties and their sacrifices, they would change their clothing, they would wash their bodies. They took it seriously because being in the Lord's presence requires us to clean up, to clean up spiritually. So wash your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, don't laugh this off anymore. Don't excuse it away. It's a serious issue, so change the laughter to mourning and get serious about it. If it means you have to wail, mourn, repent, whatever you need to do to to show this thing the proper respect that it has and the power that it has over your life, break that power by repenting and coming before God and say, God, take care of me, clean me up. Give me the grace to do that. And humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And finally, the last verse, take action. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and does not do it, we'll bring up that that slide, take action. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So we're all accountable. 
We've all heard the same message today. We all read the same words. There are sins of commission, things that we proactively do because we intend to sin. There are sins of omission when it's like, I knew I was really supposed to do it, but I just didn't want to. We're held accountable for that. The sins of commission, if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, it is sin. So we need to trust and ask God to give you grace. He will give us more and more grace. When we're running out of grace for ourselves, running out of grace for other people, we lean hard into the Lord's presence that enables us to grow in grace. Humility. We rejoice in the lowly position that we find ourselves in. Mamas, I know that there are some of you that in obedience to the Lord's command, some of you would rather be home and instead God has led you toward careers and you're excelling in those careers. And for you, that has been a sacrifice. Rejoice in your, holy, in your lowly position. There are others that have set aside careers, that have had amazing degrees, that have tremendous capabilities, and God has asked you to set that aside for a season for your family. Rejoice in your lowly position. Whatever God asks you to do, obedience and success are go, go hand in hand. Success and obedience go hand in hand. Obedience is the only metric of success. So rejoice in whatever lowly position you find yourself in. Grow in grace and in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law that can bring a charge. Nobody's going to be able to say anything. Your, your life is going to be flawless as you grow in grace and in the fruit of the Spirit. Again, not because you can do this on your own, but because God's Spirit within you can empower you and enable you to do more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. More than we could ask, think, or imagine. So as we reflect today, there are some questions I'd like for you to take away. They're in your listening guide. So how is pride showing up in my life? In the obvious ways and maybe in the subtle ways, where is pride showing up in my life? How's my spirit? Is it teachable? Is it sensitive? Is it open to correction? And how are others affected by my presence? When I come into the room, do they, do they put the guard up? Or do they go like, oh, there's a person that refreshes my spirit. There's a person that I look to and I'm like, man, I want to grow. And, and to, and to, because they so reflect the character and image of God that it's like, I, I want to be with that person because they lead me toward Christ. All of our relationships should look like that. Are they leading you toward that? How are others affected by my presence? In which of the three prideful attitudes and perspectives do I most need to grow? All of us have them. So which one is the Holy Spirit talking to you about today? Where do we need to grow? Does my life show that I take this pride seriously and that I'm actively working, actively working to deal with it and to acknowledge it in my life? Because he gives more grace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that is living and active, Lord, that is sharper than any two-edged sword that can judge between the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Lord, the word that you've given us so that we can grow by it, so that we can be encouraged by it, that we can be strengthened and trained, corrected at times. Lord, your word is so powerful because it is your word to us. It's God-breathed. Lord, let your word be active in our lives in every single way. Lord, our heart's desire is to please you. 
not to gratify the desires of our flesh, Lord, not to gratify um, our, our sense of justice or anything else, Lord, that I'm, I'm right, I'm in control, or I want this thing. God, Lord, identify those places that need to come clean before you. Lord, help us to grow in grace so that we reflect your image in our relationships, Lord, and in the world that's around us that needs that encouraging hope, that needs to desperately see something different that comes out of our lives. Lord, help us to live according to your grace, according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.